now that we're friends Here is an album you would like Here is a book you would like I think you'd like my cat and also my dog Because we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends, that we're friends. Hello and welcome to Now That We're Friends, the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework. Now That We're Friends is an arts advice podcast where instead of Dear Abby, we offer specially curated mixtapes of music, art, TV shows, poems, etc. to suit your mood and help you get through what you're going through. That was Caroline Cabrera out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who um, in 2009 taught me how to cut an onion, <laughs> which is true. And that was Gail Thompson out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, who plays a mean nose harmonica and throat bagpipe. <laughs> Very true. And that's Ann Holmes out of D.C., who recently coined the term pricorgities, which is when your priority is to find a corgi. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm a genius. <laughs> who do we have a voice memo from this week? We have a voicemail from Veronica. I'll go ahead and play it. Hi all, uh, so here's my question. Do you have any advice on transitioning from long-term academia to a real-world job in your late 20s? I switched from wanting a career in medicine and over the course of my undergraduate career, taking every science class you could think of, to realizing with the help of a very honest best friend that I didn't want that at all. Uh, and I jumped into a master's program that would give me the right skills for a job in book publishing. So as someone who's been a perpetual student that took a lot longer than usual to get to where I want to be, I'm afraid that the job market will look for someone younger to fill entry-level jobs. Any thoughts? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about yes. the question? I think this question is super relatable. I feel like everyone I know, even outside of – I know a lot of people who have transitioned from academia to the real world, and that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, it's a very like jarring change. But I also think that just the – the detail that she's in her late 20s, I feel like, you know, I'm 32. We're all like mid, early, mid 30s. And I feel like the late 20s were such a hard time for so many of my friends who went, went through some version of a major transition and kind of feeling like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to have things together by now. So I just think, I think it's important that Veronica knows she's not alone. Like the specifics of her situation might feel very personal and they are, but that it's a really super common thing. Yes. And I also just yeah. think like, again, I know that feeling like you were saying, Caroline, like late 20s, you feel like maybe you're so much older, but in the grand scheme of things, I think a lot of people are making this transition now from like out of academia into the real world and or real world, quote unquote, um, using using Veronica's terminology, but that it's really not, it's no. really not like late in the game anymore. And I can just give a personal anecdote. I mean, my husband, Matt, finished a PhD and at 35 just started an entirely new career. And actually his academic background helped him get a different job because he had this totally different background than some of his other colleagues. So I also think sometimes it can be a benefit to have um, 
Yeah, definitely. To have a different background. And I think also sometimes you do things in the prescribed order and then you still end up changing everything at that point in your lives, which is what I did. I was like, oh, I'm checking all the boxes. I've got undergrad. I've got grad school. Mm -hmm. I'm going straight into the career I think I like. And then around 28, 29, I was like, I'm miserable. What do I do now? So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm in the middle of both of those things, so I can't really say that much. (laughs) I am knee deep in, I'm out of school in a real job. What am I doing? So I'll probably keep talking about that throughout the episode because I can't really say, well, I I can tell you some information about what I went through because I am inside of the pool right now. <laughs> but I can say that this is, Veronica, you are definitely not alone. But also that, yeah, I, I would say late 20s is not old at all because, well, for one thing, it's illegal for people to ask your age, right? But also, I mean, the idea that like, I think coming in with a master's in something specific like that, I think it, I don't know, I think it would only help. And it kind of shows that you have, you have a history of stuff. <laughs> I mean, you have the drive, you have the determination and you have the track record. I think that's important too when, mm-hmm. when entering. And I mean, market. at the very least you have <laughs> science classes that you can fall back on. <laughs> um, I <laughs> went from medicine to English, actually my junior year of college so I just basically didn't finish my science stuff and then went on to English. I still like sometimes will look at it and be like, should I go back and finish a science degree? Which no, I definitely shouldn't. It's been way too long. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I can understand having this, that switch be um, something to be, something to kind of hang on as something to be insecure about because, I mean, I still feel, I mean, I graduated college with an English degree, but because I when I went to grad school, when I met all these different people, so many of them kind of had decided they wanted to be writers or they wanted to, to do to do like English or humanities for their entire lives. Like that kind of seemed like who they were. And I so I always kind of felt like, oh God, you know, there is something that I'm still missing here because, you know, I didn't start in high school really liking English or I didn't start my college career with an English major in mind or something like that. So like the some part of me is still a freshman, sophomore cutting up sheep hearts to test out, I don't know what the hell we were <laughs> testing out, how nauseous we could be, I think was one of the one of the things. Because that was one of the reasons why I switched to creative writing was because, I mean, not really. Obviously, I'd been thinking about it for a while, but I had a stomach virus and we were in lab and I was, we were like cutting up sheep hearts and sheep eyeballs. And I was like, oh, I got to go. And like, I went home, <laughs> was sick, and then was like, I can't do this. And it was it, like, I'm not even like a, someone who gets really grossed out by bodily stuff, which I think is so, I think that's really funny. But the stomach virus really made me change my mind. But I still feel this kind of sense of like, I still feel like that person who once was dissecting a sheep heart, even though 15 years later, 12 years later, I'm actually a professor in writing. <laughs> Yeah, I think Veronica, you just own it that it took you this long and that's really okay. And should we start with some recommendations? Yes. Yeah. Does someone have one they want to start first with? I guess I have one. So bear with me here. I was thinking a lot about this question, Veronica, and not only this transition from academia to the job market, but also like approaching 
the working world as a woman. And so I started to think a lot about like self-esteem and self-doubt and started to think about movies featuring some powerful working women. So my (laughs) first recommendation, Veronica, is to watch the 1988 powerhouse Working Girl. I was so hoping that's what you were going to (sighs) recommend. Starring (laughs) Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, Joan Cusack, Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford. It's just shoulder pads. And some shoulder pads (laughs) and some really, really tall, stiff hair. (laughs) It's such a good movie. So our girl, Melanie Griffith, she gets this job as stockbroker secretary at this like Wall Street investment bank. She's commuting from Staten Island with her girl, Joan Cusack, which the opening credits of this movie, even if you don't watch Working Girl, if you just watch the opening credits, it's just one of the most empowering things I've ever seen. You just see like Melanie Griffith and Joan Cusack riding the Staten Island Ferry into Manhattan and going to work. It's great. And then you've got Carly Simon singing Let the River Run, which, oh my God, you guys. Oh my God, (laughs) Veronica. If you haven't Listen, I'm just going to go off on a little bit, little tangent here, but what's as important as watching Working Girl is watching the music video for Let the River Run because it's just all about female empowerment and it's just fantastic. But it's basically like a song and a movie about following your dreams and not suffering bullshit, which I think is applicable here as you're facing the working world and feeling a little bit insecure. I just feel like this movie and this song will really help. And you can just follow Melanie Griffith as she is sort of like navigating this world of yelling men in suits. And then finally, her boss, Sigourney Weaver, who turns out to be kind of an asshole. But anyway, Tess, Melanie Griffith's character, she basically like takes her boss's vacation as a time to rise up and gain some confidence and put forth some of her own ideas. And she starts to realize she does belong in this world with all of these powerful executives. And I think, Veronica, if you watch this movie and listen to this song, you'll just start to feel in control. And I think that that's really important. And that's my little bit little tangent. I love that, Anne, because I think something that when you said um, she realizes she does belong, I think that there are a lot of things about Veronica's question that I think it's about more than the specifics she's giving us. She's like, oh, I feel like I'm too Mm -hmm. old. I feel like I'm too late. But I think it's just, there are two really huge things happening for her. One is that she's making a giant transition to a different type of life, which I have a lot of other thoughts on. But the other one that applies to what you're saying is that so many of us have some version of imposter syndrome Mm-hmm. That, yes. that there's something about us that makes us unfit. We're not the right person. We're not when, and I think that that's super relatable as a young woman because I have found that being a young woman is not great <laughs> in any sort of work environment. Yes. <laughs> and that actually, like, I, I can understand what you're articulating, Veronica, about like, oh, you know, like, am I too old to be in an entry level position? Are they going to think, which I think, one, you're younger than you think you are, but also, that being young and a woman is almost never a positive thing. It's just a, a double way that you're being undervalued or 
underestimated. And yeah, so I think that your Melanie Griffith example here is great, Anne, (laughs) because I think owning the ways in which you are prepared and you are competent and you are capable can just make all of this a little easier. Yeah. The thing that you're feeling an imposter about is the thing that sets you apart. That's the thing that actually you should feel confident about. Yeah. Because like imposter syndrome is like, well, I come, you know, I'm feeling this like there's some, I mean, whatever it is, whatever we, whatever like our weird brains tell us we should, that like why we don't belong, it's different for everybody. But like whatever that thing is, it's like, oh, you don't belong here. That's the thing that like you should actually turn into, hey, guess what? I don't belong here. <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, it, that's the thing that like people find will find interesting about you. Yeah. And also, yes, being a young woman sucks. Like so in, when the recession happened, my dad, you know, like the whole factory that he worked for, they all like he had – anyway, doesn't matter. Because of the recession, my dad was laid off. And for a few years, he was kind of like trying to do something on his own. And he was laid off at just the worst age to where like he had like eh, 10 years of retirement or 10 years before retirement. And then a couple years passed. He was still applying to jobs and still going on interviews. And he was so obsessed about like how old he looked and how much experience he had and that nobody would hire him. And it was, I mean, that was really difficult. But also, so that being said, Veronica, you are not a 55-year-old man, (laughs) right? And Because like Caroline was saying, you're always going to be underestimated and undervalued regardless (laughs) because you're a woman. But then also, I really wish I were in my late 20s. And I just remember too, like after grad school starting a job, even though I was in my late 20s, everyone at my job kept telling me how young I looked. Mm -hmm. And I just think like as a young woman or even feeling a little bit older, it's just important to like own your experience, own your background, because people will try to belittle you and try to kind of wrench that imposter syndrome and I think that's something that we can all relate to but you know just trying to be like centered in the face of that kind of world is important to try to hold on to if that makes sense yeah when I think this might lead to one of my suggestions which I don't know if either of you guys have read this but the collection of essays uh one day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter no it's on my list it's on my library list no it's so good it's so funny and i think so like a bunch of it is it's like either one day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter but then a bunch of it is crossed out so that it can also read like one day Mm -hmm. this will matter double meaning but she has all of these kind of smaller essays or little stories about her life growing up the daughter of Indian immigrants in Canada and she kind of always feels a little like she you know of course like she kind of writes herself that so that she's a little bit out of place but she the all of the essays are kind of how she's uh, feeling a little bit like she doesn't belong wherever she is so like there's a really incredible chapter about her trying on fancy clothes um, as kind of a fuller figure woman in this like really chic boutique in New York and having all of these women kind of stare at her while she's, I think the zipper ends up getting stuck and she's talking about how much she's sweating and like, it's hilarious. 
And, you know, there's, I think she talks a little bit about like shaving her knuckles in grade school. And when she, and then there's a whole chapter about like going to India and being a part of an Indian wedding as someone who was not born in India. And so like wherever she is, she feels always kind of a little bit out of place. And the way that she writes about it and the way that she, she kind of like has these little phrases for things that she's for example her boyfriend's name is Hamhawk I think is what it is but like she regard like whatever she's doing she's trying to find her her feet her what is it she's trying to find her feet in the world is that a phrase I don't know I so I read it in a review that she's trying to find her feet in the world and now I, as she's I'm trying that line, I'm like she's I don't, trying to get her sea legs <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking of all extremity based yeah things. <laughs> yeah yeah she's got <laughs> She's got one leg in, one leg out. That's not even a phrase. I'm just going to start <laughs> putting her feet to the grindstone. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a hookworm in her foot. That's not also not a phrase. Gross. <laughs> um but anyway, so she's she has all of these observations about her life is kind of always feeling a little bit out of place, either because of her body, because of her race, or because of her gender. And she's also just this force on Twitter, which it's kind of a controversial force. But um, so you might either love it or hate it. But there's a whole chapter in there about how she had to get off Twitter for a while and how lonely it was. <laughs> she's back on. Don't worry. But... <laughs> But yeah, so the, the, there's a bunch of essays about just kind of feeling a little bit having that insecurity and that in, imposter syndrome just wherever she goes. But at the same time, she makes it hilarious and she kind of turns it into this narrative in which she, you know, asks questions about herself and she talks about ways that. So the thing, so what her chapters end up being is like every part of her is kind of open for critique and like open for people being crap heads um and what she ends up doing is kind of i guess what we're talking about which is like making that thing that you feel an imposter about the thing that sets you apart and like the thing that you're going to talk about and like make uh you know for her she like makes jokes out of or whatever but i can kind of so i'll read a little quote it's from the chapter where she goes to the new york boutique the zipper is not stuck yet so this is kind of you know before the shit hits the fan let's just say that but it's so funny and i think it the way that she writes it is, I think, Veronica, how you should <laughs> how you should take on the working world. Okay. I peeled the shorts off my sweating skin and stepped into the skirt. It slid up my body, resting on my waist, and I pulled the zipper up towards the Lord. It didn't just fit. No, it did more than that. It melded to my body beautifully, as if it had been cut specifically for me to mask and smooth and elevate. I would be better in this skirt. The dream was happening. I had the all-knowing smile. My hair was suddenly more luxurious. I felt thinner, more acceptable. Girls who had been mean to me in high school would see me in this skirt and think, is that Sachi? And I'd say, you bet it is, you dumb bitch. And then punch all their boyfriends in the teeth. I have not thought this fantasy through. Just let me have this. And that's, and that's where it goes. But yeah, so she the way that she kind of – you can go through her thought process and she just like narrates everything so hilariously – I just love it. And I think you really like it, Veronica. Yeah, me too. On the note of just being like a little bit snarky, I have a suggestion too, Veronica. And I think you should watch Ali Wong's comedy special, Baby Cobra, because she's hilarious. And she has some really great jokes about younger women and about like being a little bit of an 
older woman, and again, older is such a relative term here because I think Ali Wong's probably like tops 35 maybe, but being kind of in the sweet spot that you're finding yourself at where you're still quite young, but you're feeling older. And then looking back at really young women and feeling kind of like an old hag witch looking back at these like youthful, sprightly teens. Um, So she's got some hilarious jokes about that that I think you would enjoy. And I also think that on that note, I think you're going to feel a little differently about age when you get to this side of 30. I found that I do. I felt like in my late 20s, I was like, I haven't made of myself what I'm supposed to. I haven't gotten these things figured out. I haven't whatever. I'm I'm like feeling a little bit anxious about turning 30. And, and then after I turned 30, like being like 31, 32, I just feel a little more relaxed about age and a little more like embracing that it's it's kind of calmer to not be in your 20s anymore. Yeah. I think in your 30s, at least things don't feel quite as like volatile. Like, yeah, things just kind of – also I think at least for me in my 30s, like while I still – I still feel like I'm kind of finding my place in the working world, but having worked with so many different types of people – I also realize like nobody really has it totally figured out, which has actually given me a lot more confidence because I realize that like I am not the exception of someone who doesn't have it figured out (laughs) and that we're all just kind of working together and everybody has kind of their own, their own thing going on. My sister's about a decade older than me and I remember at my college graduation, the night before my college graduation, one of my friends was really torn up about some boy or something. I don't know. And was like, Anne, give me advice. You're so wise to my sister. And my sister said, I'm not wise. I've just been fucking up longer than you have. (laughs) (laughs) But she was, you know, yeah, she was like 30, around 30 when that, when she, when she said that. And I think about that a lot because I, I feel like things feel a little less dire to me in my 30s. I don't know why, but- I'm just a little like calmer about all this stuff that was really stressful at like 28, 29. Yes. And it hasn't changed. Things are just as in flux, but I'm just less in a dither about it. In a dither? I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, your, I'm your grandmother now. <laughs> That's what my mom says. Aww. I'm a dither. So I love dither because it reminds me of my mom. Well, my friend Palmer says all in a lather. Yeah, I've heard that one too. Yeah. Can I also suggest on this theme of self confidence mm-hmm. to read some Roxanne Gay? Yes. I mean, anything she's ever written, but I'm thinking about her Bad Feminist collection. Really, any essay that she's kind of written on women and feminism and I was kind of rereading some of her work while while thinking about you Veronica and came across this this quote um she says I approach most things in life with a dangerous level of confidence to balance my generally low (laughs) self-esteem which I think also is something that is a perspective that um could be really helpful and kind of fits into what to what we're talking about that like, you know, we're all still trying to figure it out, but um, having a little bit of confidence 
goes goes a long way, even if you don't feel it totally. And I just think Roxanne Gay can really help us all become better people and better women that we're all kind of figuring at figuring it out together. Yeah, I totally agree. I also I have a really silly suggestion that I am going to give you in all seriousness, which is that going back to confidence, no one knows how old you are. No one knows how old you are. And if you look at people like Paul Rudd or Gabrielle Union, like <laughs> nobody knows how old you are. So I think that if you're feeling old, that you need to channel youth in some ways, because I think then you will project youth uh, if that's what you're looking for. And so I'm going to suggest an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's season two, episode (laughs) four. So they're still in high school, which is a nice little sweet spot for me. And it's called Inca Mummy Girl. (laughs) And the storyline is that there's an exhibit in town of a mummy and someone like accidentally lets her, lets the spirit out. And the like mummy comes to life, but needs to steal the youth of the teens at the school to stay alive. And she kind of has like a love storyline with Xander. Obviously she's not the protagonist, but I think you should watch this while rooting for her and then channel that type of bold confidence and youthful energy before an interview. Or Hocus Pocus. Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, so my kind of suggestion is, it's very silly, but it's on this theme of like confidence or whatever, uh, feeling a little bit too old. But it is to read Julia Child's My Life in France. Yes. Or watch Julie and Julia. Do not read the book. And if you only want to watch the Julia part, there is a YouTube video that has a collection of all the just like Meryl Streep as Julia Child scenes so that you can keep Julie out of there. Do not read the book. Yes. I also was going to suggest Julie and Julia, but specifically the Julia Child. Yeah. Well, you're you're probably going to say it a lot better than me. So you can go ahead and go. No, no, no. I'm just excited that you're bringing it up. So, I mean, the thing about Julia Child is that she didn't start really cooking professionally or doing anything professionally until she was pretty old. I mean, like late 30s when she figured out like what she wanted to do, 40s when she kind of was like became the Julia Child that we know. And so I think my life in France really, because that's her memoir and it's her talking about kind of you know, her marriage and her semi-youth and then coming up um, into this point in her life where she goes to France and she's kind of in her, what she would, what in the 40s and 50s anyway, was kind of middle age, right? You know, she was going to die in 10 years because that's, I'm just kidding. There's no, I'm not going <laughs> to in the 40s and 50s. But, um, you know, the pleurisy was going to come get her. But she just kind of was hanging out in France and didn't really know what to do with her life. Um, and didn't, you know, she knew what she liked, but she was kind of just like hanging around and having this, you know, fun time, but also didn't really have this driven place where she wanted to go. So I have a couple quotes. One, upon reflection, I decided I had three main weaknesses. I was confused, evidenced by a lack of facts, an inability to coordinate my thoughts, and an inability to verbalize my ideas. I had a lack of confidence, which caused me to back down from forcefully stated positions, and I was overly emotional at the expense of careful scientific thought. I was 37 years old and still discovering who I was. 
Uh, and then another one is, uh, I was 32 when I started cooking. Up until then, I just ate, which I, I think is just- I love that. And great. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, and, and then kind of where she goes with that first quote is like, she ends up talking about kind of how the French people, they, it doesn't really matter <laughs> whether, how much they actually are correct, but they say what they they say what they think in like really loud and clearly stated positions. And that was something where she kind of took on that confidence from the French, which I think is really lovely and great. Um, but yeah, and then so that, of course, if you want to think about Julia Child, I think it's probably really helpful to think of her as Meryl Streep. And Anne, take it away. I mean, I don't have much more to say other than watching Meryl Streep as Julia Child is just freaking delightful. And I just think she takes on a lot of what you were saying, Gail, like from – was that her memoir? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she just takes from Julia Child's list. I think she just like – she captures that sense of like first feeling pretty insecure, but then just like owning her kind of messy self. And that's what everyone ended up loving about mm-hmm. Julia Child, yeah. right? Is that she's she becomes more confident in herself, but she's confident in the person that she already was, which is just, I think, a lesson we can all learn from Julia Child and from Meryl Streep as Julia Child, but also Meryl Streep in general. But that's a different that's a different line. But just watching Meryl Streep as Julia Child is just a very fun and empowering thing to watch. Watching her cut onions, actually, funny enough, I when I talked about cutting onions earlier in the episode, uh, watching the like onion cutting scene where she's just like chopping through all of these onions and crying and trying to like chop onions correctly, I think it's just <laughs> I also want to add that Stanley Tucci is his normal wonderful oh, self, <laughs> but that the two of them together in that movie is – so heartwarming. I also think that something I was thinking about, and I didn't actually, I don't know that I that I came up with a suggestion that illustrated this nearly as well as what you guys came up with, but it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Like just really never ever, mm-hmm. but certainly not at late 20s. And I think seeing someone just, someone who has become a household name, not even start doing the thing they did until they were older than you would be a great thing for you right now, Veronica. Yeah, I was even thinking, I was like, should I recommend The West Wing because of Aww. Mrs. Landingham, whatever her name is? Crap. See, that's the thing. I, I wasn't going to recommend it, so I can't remember her name. Hold on. It's Mrs. Landingham. No, the actress's name. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Catherine, I was like, Gail, you got it. Catherine Joustin. Catherine Joustin didn't start acting until she was like, God, like 60? I mean, I can't, I can't even, like, it's it's pretty old. Maybe she, yeah, I think she was like sixty, and she started on like she was like doing the West Wing, uh, Desperate Housewives. Like she did not become the Catherine Houston, Mrs. Landingham, Desperate Housewives old lady that we know. That like was this powerful lady until I mean she really didn't get. She I think she was a nurse. I think I'm I'm trying to remember, but she I think she was a nurse for a really long time, and then just was like, oh, I should act. <laughs> Which I love. And I think, and I like, yeah. I like thinking about her as Mrs. Landingham being a nurse and then deciding that I should act. Cause that's that like, you know, Midwest. Well, that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. When I was thinking about you, Veronica, and also thinking about people who didn't come to their 
careers or their calling or whatever you want to call it until later, I found these like lists of famous people who didn't become who we know them as until much later in life. Of course, Julia Child was on that list, but also people like Andrea Bocelli was a lawyer until he was 34 when he left his practice to sing full time. And now, I mean, we all... Andrea Bocelli is a household name, yeah. right? My household. And we say it all the time. <laughs> well, yeah. Just you and the pets. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Grandma Moses didn't paint until she was in her 80s. Wow. That's why she's called Grandma. And yeah, <laughs> otherwise exactly. she'd just be like young lady Moses. Jane. <laughs> she'd just be Mo- Moses. <laughs> but that was already yeah, taken. They would get so. really confused. So <laughs> Anyway, those were the two that I chose to share for no particular reason. That's perfect. I would recommend, Veronica, that you listen to a podcast called Without Fail. It's a podcast by Alex Bloomberg. So he was a he was a This American Life contributor and then started the Planet Money podcast. And then he started the podcast network Gimlet Media and had the show Startup, which was all about him starting up the company as someone who had come from like a writing and reporting background, getting into business for the first time and not knowing what the hell he was doing. So that's actually really good too. And kind of like a, you know, an aside, but now he has this podcast called without fail where he interviews business people. And they, a lot of times are people who have had major failures and major, major successes in their careers. And so he's a really good interviewer. He asks great questions. He gets people to open up in a way that is awesome, but he interviews these people who have not had a straight arrow line through their career. And I think that's a really great thing to be reminded of is that I think especially when you're going through school, life can feel like a very simple formula where you're like, okay, I get this degree and then I get this degree and there are these courses I complete. And then after that, I have the degree and then I'm eligible for these specific jobs and then I will get one of those jobs. And then what I found shifting out of academia and then also shifting out of the career I thought I wanted and kind of being like, well, wait, (laughs) this is the career I prepared for. What else can I do? That I found that there were things that I didn't even know about. And so listening to Without Fail, I think gives a great picture of how varied people's courses can be to get them where they are. And so the one episode I would recommend to start with is that he interviews... um, Sophia Amoroso. She founded Nasty Gal and then had her book Girl Boss. And then like the Netflix show Girl Boss was based off of her. And then she like very publicly had to declare bankruptcy for Nasty Gal. And she talks a lot about the ups and downs of her career. And she talks a lot about being a creative person who came from a creative background. And then because she started the company, she was CEO because that's just what happens when you start a company. And then realizing like she didn't know what the hell she was doing at all and deciding to step down from CEO. And it's just it just shows you kind of all the twists and turns that are actually more natural to people's career paths than I think we think they are, especially now. I think there was an era where people were like, I checked all the boxes and then I got the job at the firm and now I'm a company man, whatever. But that that's not what most of the people our generation are experiencing. And so I would recommend that to you. I love that. And yeah, I think it can be, be scary to feel like life is actually a little messier than you thought it was going to be. But when you see these people talking about failures in a really frank way and talking about what they learned from, because like, I mean, that's such a cliche, but 
we know that we learn from our failures and that they're not actually the worst thing in the world. But when you hear people who are successful talking really frankly about that, I think it helps you actually to appreciate that life is a little messier and not just like check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's also interesting to hear how female business people talk about their failures versus male business people, just as a general rule. That's a a fun Mm -hmm. thing I like to catalog while I listen to that show. (laughs) (laughs) I just started, I mean, like I said earlier, I kind of started down this path of like movies and TV shows with strong women. And I was thinking too about The Good Wife Mm. and how Alicia Florick played by Juliana Margulies, right? Yeah. She, you know, she she goes to law school, but then, you know, she marries her husband who is a successful lawyer and ends up being the oh crap, now I can't remember the He's the he's the district attorney. Okay. And then basically there's this there's a scandal like he cheats on her and she hasn't practiced law in a while because she's been like raising their children and she goes back to work like later and you just see her like kick ass as a lawyer and like she's underestimated and so I just I think it's a really empowering show to watch if you feel a little bit insecure even if you don't <laughs> feel insecure it's just if you a great feel show confident to watch, as hell but still like, watch this movie <laughs> yeah. Show. yeah I mean it's still, it's still a good show but it's also, you know, it, it features a woman who is sort of entering this working world for the first time in a while and sort of like gaining confidence and realizing that like she's just as smart, if not smarter than everyone else. In the yeah. Room. And it's that's a great suggestion, too, because she starts as a junior associate and all the other junior associates mm-hmm. are, you know, late 20s, however old you are when you come out of law school, if you go, you know, straight through. And she is in her probably late 30s, I would guess, with two kids. And like, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Also, Christine Baranski is so perfect in that show and in everything. It's in everything. It's and her, so Juliana Margulies's hair is incredible. I don't Ugh. know how much that plays into this, but. It's perfect. And her costumes are flawless. I mean, it's it's great. Yes, she's like the best dressed lawyer you've ever seen. <laughs> I love I just I've been really I've been watching a lot of pilots lately because I'm trying to watch new shows, which is a really funny resolution that like only if you know me does it actually count as a resolution. But I've seen so many pilots lately and I just love how I think maybe I'll just recommend any pilot of any show because it always is like someone who had everything figured out <laughs> gets shit thrown at them and they have to find their new way. And I just, it's so fun to watch. Cause then of course, like the show, like, and pilots stress me out because I am someone who I am not interested in drama. I'm not interested in uh, issues or the problems coming into play. So like Orange is the New Black really, really stressed me out. Uh, this is not, I've seen, I've seen a lot of it a long time ago, but when I watched it, Orange is the New Black really stressed me out because I was just like, why Why can't she just follow the rules and everything is going to be fine and safe and good? And it just, it. I couldn't even understand how the show got started because I was just like, just do the thing that you, I look at pilots and I'm like, why can't, why can't they all just stay, where, you know, in this like safe spot? And so really what I want, I just want to watch a reality TV show of someone having a nice life, maybe. <laughs> but that's not really interesting for anyone else. But Anyway, I, like any pilot where – I mean, I'm thinking like Gilmore Girls. I'm thinking – I mean, so one of my suggestions is uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 
where like everything is kind of like people, you know, everyone's ca- has this like certain level where they're at and then something happens to where they either have to start over or they have to go to a new place or they have to, or they, you know, they lose all the money that they had or they, you know, and I, I just, I don't know. It's really, pilots are really interesting. Yeah. And I love that because it goes back to just like the meat of your problem, Veronica, is that you're facing a huge transition and that's always freaking tough and disorienting. And you feel like, like you don't have, what is our thing? You don't have your feet on the ground. What are we, what are we using your, <laughs> your feet so in the world? Basically, find, yeah, your feet are up in the, in the air, Veronica, your skirts over your face <laughs> and you don't know how long it's going to be till you can pull it down and sit back up again is how you're feeling, I think. And so, yeah, I think that's a great, that kind of like everything's getting mixed up. It's the beginning of a new era show premise is, is such a fun I haven't, I, I've never thought about the fact that that's how like every single TV show starts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me either. I love it. That's like, that's blowing my mind. Well, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. So I'm really glad I no, said it. Was, it. it was great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, and the pro, I mean, this actually, wow, I'm going to really extrapolate here. The point of pilots is to set you up for a really interesting show. What sets you up for a really interesting show? The thing that fucks everything up. Yeah. Right. And like the problem and the thing that like the cog and not the cog in the wheel, the opposite of the cog and the, the, um, the fly in the ointment. The, the <laughs> yes. But the wrench in the, the wrench in the, the cog. What is the head house? The situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it throws a wrench in the whole thing. It's a pickle, yeah. right? <laughs> so you throw a pickle. There's a wrench in the pickle. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like the, I mean, the thing that you feel an imposter about, the thing that like ha- it like makes you a little bit different, is literally the thing that's going to create meaning for you. I love it. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. I have a little thing too. I have a recommendation of a poem, and I really the only part of this book I think that deals with your question, Veronica, is this one part in this one poem. But I would just recommend uh, the book. Issa, the truck name Isidore by Amanda Nadelberg. Um, it's a book of poetry. This is a, oh. a, a kind of deep dive back into my bookshelf. But every poem in the book is named the name of a person. And some of them are straightforward things like Joanna. <laughs> and then some are things like Pancrazio. So you get, because some of them are straightforward names, that they're all supposed to be uh, human names. But this one is called Ugtred. And I'm just going to read like a part of one stanza. Actually, I'm going to read the first, like, stanza and a half. Ugtred. I wish I could tell you how it might be to live in Maine and then somewhere else for a while. Mother says there's no real difference between right here and New Hampshire, except that here we have a house, and so it's free. Most times I'm just going about my business and someone up and asks, what are you going to do? And that means, what are you going to do with yourself that I might consider important? My mother thinks I should get a shaggy kind of haircut, and that's a short-term plan. I'll do that next week. I think that I am beginning to lose my hair because my head always hurts. After the short-term plan, I would like to have children and someday cowboy boots. What made me think about that poem, Veronica, is that I think the reality of these big transitions is like all the little things. You feel like you have to do a big thing to get to your next step and you do, but that the big thing actually happens with like all these little everyday things and you don't know 
Like you don't know when you're on the other side of a transitional period until you are. But in the meantime, you're just making little decisions like, well, I'll just do this thing and I'll just do this thing. But you feel like people are asking you like, but what is your next step? What is your big plan? And sometimes people are actually asking you that because that's something I find really discouraging about job searching is that job searching is basically like a full-time job. You're constantly looking, you're constantly applying, you're constantly, and like, if you had good news, you would tell people, but still every time you see people, not everyone, but there are people who would be like, how's the job search going? And you're like, since I've given you zero news, you can assume not very well. <laughs> yeah. What What are you going to do? Like, you know, have this incredible thing and then be like, you know what? I'm just not Yeah. Sorry. Talk. I started a job. I just forgot to tell you. Yeah, I actually moved across the country <laughs> and got uh, $50,000 signing bonus. I just didn't tell yeah, you. And so, <laughs> I think that can just like <laughs> contribute to the feeling of imposter syndrome. Cause you're like, I'm working my damnedest and I'm not getting anywhere or like I'm getting interviews, but not jobs or, you know, whatever the, the hard part about searching for jobs. And then it does feel like other people are like, but what are you really doing? And you're like, I swear to God, I'm doing the best I can. And so it just like, it doubles down on you feeling like you're not, <laughs> you're not doing uh, enough or you're not, you're not good enough. And so, yeah, I just think thinking about like, you know what? My short-term plan is I'm going to fix this this hair problem I feel like I'm having. <laughs> and down the line, eventually I'll have a baby in some cowboy boots. <laughs> that reminds me of the Joan Didion quote from the beginning of... Um... Mm. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not having a heart attack. I just can't remember. What the hell is that? Hold on. You want me to have the title, I guess. Goodbye. Goodbye to all that. Yeah, it's goodbye to all that. Uh, Which is, yeah. So I I kept wanting to say Uh, Slouching Toward Bethlehem, uh, like, which it's not, because that's just the book that it's in. In Goodbye to All That, she says, it is easy to to see the beginnings of things and harder to see the ends, which, Mm. like, that's, like, I think the first, I think it's the first line of the entire essay. And then, you know, it goes through, like, her time in New York and then the end you can kind of see how you can only see the ends by having the beginnings happen. Right. I think that's a really interesting, I don't know, maybe you should read goodbye to all that uh, <laughs> Veronica. Cause it is about, it's about transitions and it's about kind of how you see time and this whole messy, I mean, and it's Joan Didion who like, as we know, came out pretty well, you know? <laughs> yeah. She's uh she's crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have another poem that I thought about, Veronica. Mm. It's by Ada Lamone, and it's called How to Triumph Like a Girl, which is just, I think, a great anthem for women and feeling empowered and like a winner. So I'll just read it. How to Triumph Like a Girl. I like the lady horses best, how they make it all look easy like running 40 miles per hour is as fun as taking a nap or grass. I like their lady horse swagger after winning. Ears up, girls, ears up. But mainly, let's be honest, I like that they're ladies. As if this big, dangerous animal is also a part of me, that somewhere inside the delicate skin of my body, there pumps an eight-pound female horse heart, giant with power, heavy with blood. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to lift my shirt and see the huge beating genius machine that thinks, no, it knows it's going to come in first? That's a goddamn poem. 
I love that person. Right? Yes. <laughs> and it's so timely. It is. You just feel like, like, yes, you can do anything. You're a huge beating genius machine, Veronica. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you are going to come in first. I love it. I have something that might be the polar opposite of that. <laughs> You're not the you're not the gonna win. No, it's just <laughs> okay, so this is Veronica, I'm here to cut you down a couple pegs. No, it's just to acknowledge the reality of the world that you beautiful genius beating heart are living in. Um <laughs> this is a weird one. It's a deeply personal one, which is that when I the last time I was job searching for there was like a long period of time where I was job searching and I was also just coincidentally at the same time reading a lot of folk and fairy tales, like Brothers Grimm folk and fairy tales, because I had this, I got this complete first edition with like beautiful illustrations for Christmas in the middle of this job search. And I started working on a project, like a writing project where I was taking a lot from fairy tales. And so I was reading a lot of fairy tales while also job searching and job searching is hard. It, it's it real is. Hard. <laughs> and so much of it, it's the worst. yeah. And so much of it feels really arbitrary. Like you will find things that you're like, I am such a perfect fit for this. I'm so amped about it and you hear nothing. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I guess maybe I'll apply to this one. And you hear back and you're like, I didn't even think I was really qualified. Like it's not as much of like a one-to-one ratio as you want it to be like, oh, here's the checklist they're looking for. Here's what I have. I'm a perfect fit. And then like, you know, so it can get you down to feel like you have to kind of imagine yourself in a job, I think, to write a really great cover letter. So you get really invested and you really can picture yourself doing that job and you get really excited. And then when you don't hear something about a job that you felt you were a super great fit for, it feels sometimes arbitrary or predetermined. And I found myself really finding that mirrored in fairy tales where so much that happens to the characters in fairy trails is really arbitrary and predetermined. It's like, oh, the king just like, decided some sh- thing. And, or like, you just happened to be there when the witch turned turned around and so she turned you into a pumpkin or whatever. And so I found kind of like a dark joy in reading about these characters who were like getting like, I don't know, baked in ovens and stuff through no fault of their own. While I was also, I felt like getting rejected or looked over through what felt like no fault of my own. Like I had really done everything I could and still wasn't getting chosen for things. I don't know. It felt kind of good to be reading these darker fairy tales at the same time. And then on the other side of that, being super aware that I do have way more agency than the characters in these stories. And I could just, after I felt that that nice little like schadenfreude moment of like reading these things and being like, yeah, I don't, you know, like things are really arbitrary and like, random forces are working against me to be like, okay, now buck up and go do another application. (laughs) I like that. So it reminds me of, it's my favorite scene from Star Trek, The Next Generation, when Data, right? Droid, Data. He is not human. He's a droid. And so like everything he does is mechanical and he knows in that like he's in, he's a genius at everything and he plays this game. It's like whatever, Next Generation chess or whatever. And he's just this incredible whatever this game is, chess player. It's not chess, but it's space chess. Let's call it space chess. (laughs) And he beats everybody. And then they like get to a planet, I think, where like the best space chess player ever happens to be. And he comes on the ship. He plays Data. And Data 
does everything right. He's incredible. He's he's just <laughs> killing it. He's crushing it like Joan Didion. And he loses. And he loses. I think he at least loses once. I'm pretty sure he loses twice. And he has this talk with Captain Picard afterward. And he's like, I don't get it. I'm not even human. I'm a droid. Everything is mechanical. I did literally, like, scientifically all the right moves. And Captain Picard is like, yeah, that's it's being human. That's like life. That's how it goes, is that you can be doing everything 100% perfect mm-hmm. and you still can lose. But that's okay because you're still going to do those things. Per- and you, like, there are going to be times when you're going to win, but there are also going to be times where you're going to be doing everything possible that you can do and still lose, which I take with great lots of salt because – the academic job market is basically, yeah, you're, you know, among the top best of the people that you're up against, but also you're still never going to get a job at the same time, you know? So along with my, I'll do a really quick one along with my Kimmy Schmidt suggestion. Um, I also recommend watching Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) So those two, I can't tell you why they're really, I mean, I can probably tell you a little bit as to why they're very similar to me, but (laughs) much like Kimmy Schmidt, Jessica Fletcher, is coming in each episode. You can really just watch one. You can watch the one that's called A Murder Among Friends, which is a really terrible parody of the like Friends show, but there's a murder that happens and then she shows up and like tries to, anyway, it's great. But so, I mean, she's an old lady and it's generally like, I would say, especially with this Murder Among Friends, it's a bunch of 30 year olds or it's a bunch of 20 year olds. And she kind of has to come in and be like, hey guys, I'm hip. I'm here to check out a murder. I'm going to be on Friends, you know, and like she's 60, 70. And the way that she kind of like takes control and takes charge and feels and does, I would say a little bit like Kimmy Schmidt, where she's like a little out of place, but then is like, cool, great. Here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm on a parody of the TV show Friends and one of them was killed and I know exactly what happened because I'm Jessica freaking Fletcher. And I think that you should watch at least that episode. But I know that Murder, She Wrote is on Netflix now, so I highly recommend it. It is blowing my mind that Murder, She Wrote was still airing when Friends started. Yeah, yeah. But it was an early – like it was like 92. I guess that's not true because Friends started in 94. (laughs) They really preempted it. (laughs) Jessica Fletcher is freaking amazing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean the show went on for like 900 years. It's the theme song. Wonderful. Do we have something we want to finish up with? Anyone have like a last thought type deal? I, I might, but my dog is still drinking water. <laughs> All right. Hubble, I swear to God. You're, it's over. There's no more water. Okay. Go back to bed. Um, I don't know. One of my pieces of advice is just get, like, give yourself something new to focus on because, like, you're going to have a job and there's so much, like, like the external schedule isn't there anymore and the external, like, things that you're looking for aren't there anymore. And so when you go to a new job, like, it can be really easy to just go to the job and then go home, mm-hmm. you know? I also want to say, Veronica, that – I think you have more to offer than you think you do and that you're going to kill it on the job market. Yeah. You've got a fire in your belly, which (laughs) Melanie Griffith's boss tells her in Working Girl, which I think – 
Veronica, you've got such a fire in your belly and you're going to do great things. You're going to crush it like Joan Didion. (laughs) Crush it like Joan Didion. I think that the hard thing about transitions is that, like we've said, you know when they're starting, but you don't know when they're ending. But the good thing is they always end. And probably before you know it, there might be a lot of discomfort, strife, et cetera, between now and then. But before you know it, you're going to be into the next thing. And you'll look back and be like, wow, that that went, you know, that was tough. Or maybe that wasn't as tough as I thought. But if you can try to enjoy other things while you're transitioning through this kind of difficult time, if you can try not to be focusing only on job searching and stuff like that, and remember that like these are days, weeks, months of your life that you're living, I think that would be great. You've got this, Veronica. Now That We're Friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Ann Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Our producer is Lisanne Wonderwall-Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. Now That We're Friends is an Oh Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at omiami.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Now That We're Friends and on Twitter and Instagram at NTWF Podcast. 